this is our last worship song for the morning. Um, as we sing this song, I just ask you listen to the words, take them to heart. The song is singing about how you know, God is our our waymaker, our mirror forger, our promise keeper, our light in the darkness. He's always there for us to turn to no matter what we may encounter, no matter what we may be going through. So as we sing these words, just take them to heart.
this day, giving us this opportunity, giving us to come here and worship you, lift your name on high, fellowship with one another, to hear your word and grow closer to you. I pray that today, as Seth brings the message, you will give him your words to say, that we may learn and grow from them, we may cultivate a closer relationship with you, and that we may seek your will through our lives. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. If um, you don't know me, I'm Seth Parnell. <clears throat> I'm the pastoral assistant here, and um, I have been given another opportunity to preach this morning. So apparently last month wasn't that bad. He let me do it again, so that's awesome. And I appreciate that. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Y'all, are you guys having a good summer so far? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a weird one, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> any vacations? Anybody been on vacation this summer so far? Okay, good deal. I feel like in the first service, maybe I just didn't see all the hands. There's like no, hardly any hands that went up. It's like, man. Well, we got to go on vacation, not this past week, but the week before, and it was awesome just to get away, enjoy being somewhere else for a little while. Um, and we went to the beach because we are beach people. That's just what we like to do. Um, we've just, I, I guess, actually, every vacation that we've taken since we've been married has been at the beach. Emerald Isle, that's where we usually go because my aunt has a place in Emerald Isle. So we get to go stay there. Yeah, that's how that works. Um, but yeah, this was, this was a very special trip, though, because it was Amelia's first trip to the beach, her first time ever being there. So that was awesome. Uh, she and she loved, and if you don't know Amelia, she's 11 months old, so she's, she turned 11 months while we're at the beach, so that was pretty cool too, and she loved the birds. <laughs> Every time that we went out there, we'd be like, Amelia, look at the birds, and she would, oh, oh. <laughs> we had her in a little carrier, and at first she didn't like it because we'd never put her in a carrier before. We had a little carrier, forward-facing, and she, the whole way walking down the beach, she was just like angry and crying and stuff, and we'd be like, look at the birds, see the seagull? Ooh. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. Um, something else that was cool about this trip is that this is the first time that I have been to the beach with my, my family, my mom, dad, brother, sister, since uh, probably for about, first time in six years. So it was awesome just to be with them, uh, enjoying a week together. Um, Somehow we didn't. Nothing really happened, you know. Brothers and sisters. Sometimes you get them together. They like to fight, but I guess maybe because we're older now, we're a little more mature. I don't know, but it didn't seem to happen other than you know picking on each other and stuff. That's gonna happen. But it was it was awesome. The thing that was not awesome <clears throat> while we were at the beach is we had this little thing come by called a hurricane, <laughs> and the Monday night that we were there, uh, hurricane. Let's see if I can get the pronunciation right. Isaias came. Uh, I kept calling it Isaiah because that's what it looks like. Uh, but it, it came, and uh, we had beautiful weather before the hurricane and after. But and even the day, Monday, when, when, when it came, we were out on the beach just enjoying it. But that evening, about probably 10 o'clock, somewhere around there, is when we started getting some weather from it. And it was a little scary. 
Um, thankfully, where we were in Emerald Isle, there weren't many things that really happened. I know on the island itself, they lost power. Where we were, we were on the mainland. We didn't lose power, but some panels had fallen off of the, the building we were staying in. Um, it's a little single-wide trailer, and it was a little scary being in there because you felt like you were up in the clouds with the hurricane. <laughs> that was the way it felt. Amelia slept through the whole thing. Didn't even know. So that was great. But we did not. We stayed up till the wee hours, late hours of the morning, probably 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, watching the news, making sure nothing was going to happen. But the next morning came, nothing bad really happened. That was great. However, Oak Island, which is where the majority of the eye really hit, they had some devastation. And I actually had a friend who was staying at Oak Island, uh, and I texted him Monday night. It was 11.30 at night. Uh, I could see on the map that's where the eye of the storm was. So I texted him the lyrics to the song, In the Eye of the Storm. You know, in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. I texted that to him. And he just trying to be funny because, you know, this is a Category 1 hurricane. You know, it was even going back and forth from tropical storm to Category 1. And I was like, it's not going to do anything. That's why we didn't evacuate because we're like, hey, we'll be good. Never been in a hurricane before. I don't know what to expect. So I texted him, and he came back. He said, dude, you don't know how applicable that song is right now. I was like, what's going on? Like, we're up here at Emerald Isle, and we're okay, but what's, what's going on in Oak Island? And he said, we have lost our vehicles. They're totaled. And on top of that, the <clears throat> little porch that's on their, their oceanfront uh, beach house was gone. It was swept away by the waves and wind and whatever else hit it. And these are some pictures of Oak Island. The next morning when everyone woke up, they found the sand covering the streets. They found vehicles flipped over, debris everywhere. And it destroyed the place. <clears throat> and it's incredible just to see that a storm, even at that weakness of a category, could do that much damage. <clears throat> see, here's the thing. In life, when storms come, sometimes they sweep things away. Like this hurricane was sweeping away vehicles and debris and porches. <laughs> I mean, these things got swept away by the wind and the waves. And in our Christian lives, if we're not careful, there are times that we too can be swept away by the storms in our life. When we're not grounded the way that we should be. So if you would, I would invite you to open up in your Bibles to 2 Peter. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, I'm actually finishing up a series that I've been in for a while. Every time I get to, to preach, I preach out of this series. And um, it's about 2 Peter. Let me just kind of recap a little bit what's going on at this point. Um, Peter is addressing the early church. And what's happened is the early church has been experiencing some storms of their own at this point. Um, some things that were happening <clears throat> specifically that we know from this passage is that there are false teachers that were rising up and they were taking these churches and preaching things that were not true. They were, they were, they were speaking lies. They were preaching things that are, don't line up with scripture, don't line up with the doctrine and theology that the church knew. And that's what was happening. 
And um, so Peter came in, and he, he, he was like saying, don't listen to these guys. They are lying to you. Some of the false things that they were saying was that, one, that there would be no judgment at the end of time. The Bible talks about it, that God's going to, at the end of time, judge the world. That is going to happen. And these false teachers were saying that's not going to happen. And on top of that, they were even saying that Jesus Christ isn't going to come back to get the church the way that it talks about in Scripture. Uh, you know, as Christians, that's our hope, that Jesus is coming back for us. And so these false teachers rising up and saying these things are stealing the hope of the early church. And something else that we can gather that probably was being taught during this time, based off of 2 Peter, is that um, there were lies being told about our, uh, our dealings with sin that maybe God's not going to judge us or it doesn't matter whether we sin or not because we have this thing called grace and it, it just it, it wipes everything away. But that's not true also. So there's these things that were, that he was, he was, um, that were being taught that are not true, that were not right. So let's look in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 14. And just to kind of lead into this, what Paul or what Peter is saying is that we need to remember and wait on the return of Christ. Wait on his second coming because there is coming a new earth and a new heavens in which righteousness dwells. And that is our hope. That's what we have to look forward to. So let's look here in, in um, verse 14. It says this, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So let's stop there. This is a hard verse, all right? Because here's the thing. It's, he's, he's commanding the church to be found without spot, without blemish, and at peace. And the thing is, I know myself, I have sin <laughs> in my life. I know if he were to come back right now, there would be things in my life that I'm hanging on to, and it's sin, and I just need to let go. And I would not be found completely, perfectly spotless right now. And that's a little bit scary, but it's a command in Scripture that we should do that, that we should be diligent to be found spotless. So we know that we, we should at least strive for that because that's what it's saying. But here's the thing. A lot of times when Christians read a verse like this, there's, there's two extremes that might happen in their lives. There's two extremes to how they may apply this verse and interpret it for their lives. One extreme says this. One extreme looks at this and goes, hmm, I need to be spotless. I need to be, make sure that I am without blemish. I can't do that. I can't do that because I know the sin that I have in my life. I know my lack of discipline when it comes to fighting sin and when it comes to doing what's right and doing good. I can't do that. I can't do that. And what they do is they look at this and they give up. They give up trying. They say, you know what, what's the point? I know that tomorrow I'm just going to fail again. I'm going to fall right back into the same footsteps and the same sins that I've been dealing with my whole life. What's the point? And so that's one extreme that Christians sometimes may take when reading a verse like this. And there's other verses in Scripture, such as, be holy for I am holy, where it's, it's, it's commanding us to shoot for this really lofty goal. But see, there's another extreme that Christians may take. 
And they say, okay, well, if I'm supposed to be spotless, supposed to be found without blemish, I'm going I'm to do everything in my ability, everything in my strength to do that. And so what they do is they go into Scripture and they read all of the laws and all the rules and regulations and they try to follow that as best as they can, which is a good thing because God's law is important. And it's important that we obey God's commands. But they take it to such a degree where they try to do all these different things to make sure that they are found without spot or blemish. And sometimes what they do is they take it a step further and they begin to add different things to this list of rules. Sometimes these things aren't even really found in Scripture. It's just things they're convicted about. And if you're convicted about something, then I think it's even Paul, he talks about how that becomes a law to you, that you shouldn't do that if it's a conviction in your heart. But they begin to add all these different things to these rules that may or may not even be in Scripture. And what happens is that takes them down a road of legalism where they are looking at this list and they're trying to conform their life so much to this list so that they don't sin and they do what is righteous, which to an extent is commendable. We should be pursuing righteousness and holiness, but they take this list to an nth degree and they become legalistic about it. But then they might even take it a step further and they may begin to judge themselves and think, well, I am a good person if I keep this list. Or I am a bad person if I don't keep this list. And you begin to judge yourself based off of how you are keeping this list of rules of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. But then they might even take it another step further and begin judging other people as well. They're a good person because they've done, they've kept this list. They're doing great. They're awesome. They're like sainthood, even more than me. Or this person's terrible because they haven't kept anything on this list. And so you, they begin judging whether people are bad or good based off of these rules. And that's a problem because it's God's place to judge us, right? It's God's place to do that work. Now, we should judge sin in people's lives. We should, we should hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable when they are sinning. That is important. That's a good thing to do. But determining whether someone is a good or bad person based off of whether they are living by this list of rules of do's and don'ts, that's a problem. So you have these two extremes to how we could interpret this verse of be spotless. You have these two extremes. One over here just gives up. It's like, what's the point? I'm not even going to try. I know I'm not going to do it. And you have the other person over here who's going, I'm going to do everything in my strength, my own strength to do this. But what's the right way to look at this verse? Well, I'm going to um, tell you a little story about my dog to help us understand the right way to look at this verse. This is copper. Um, he is a pit bull boxer, maybe a little lab sprinkled in there mix, and um, he's a nut. He's crazy. Well, at times. He's a good dog. He really is. But he's not quite two yet, and he's still got that immature puppy, uh, high energy, I just want to go have fun, and life is just awesome, and I just want to go, woo, run around. And so we have to let him run around outside quite a bit. Now, Dogs, specifically copper, but most dogs in general, they like to roll around in things, right? 
Specifically, they like to roll around in things that don't smell good. Specifically, things that don't smell good that an other animal has eaten and passed through its system. Right? I'm going to say it. They like to roll around and poop. That's just what dogs do. And Copper is a dog, and he likes to roll around and poop. And if we're not careful, every once in a while, he gets away from us, and he rolls around and poop. Now, there's this one day where we were getting ready to go somewhere. We're actually pretty sure we're getting ready to go to a small group. And um, I'll let Copper go out. We don't keep him on a leash when he's in the backyard because we're kind of out in the country. And there's just, he has places to run around. And he doesn't usually run off. And sometimes we have to go find him. But that's just how we do it. But we were getting ready to go. And we're running a little bit late, which is par for the course for us sometimes. But this particular thing that was about to happen was going to make us really late, which is not really par for the course, usually, sometimes, usually. Um, I looked out in the field behind our house where Copper, the field's not our property, it's behind our house, and Copper was out there in the field, and he was sniffing around, and he had that look on his face, like I knew what he was about to do. He found something, he was about to roll in it. And I start sprinting out there going, no, copper, don't. And I'm yelling at this dog like, no, 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 no. And he looks at me with his typical copper grin. And he just goes, roll, 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 roll. And he rolls around. He is covered. His neck, I mean, there is just poop all over him. Now, I have a rule that if a dog is covered in poop, he can't go into my house. I think most people probably have that rule if you have animals of any kind. Um, copper, he doesn't always smell the greatest. He's a dog. But when he's rolled in poop, you know, no, you're not coming to my house. So I have to give him a bath. And this was going to put us behind a little bit, giving him this bath. See, in order for him to come in, I have to give him a bath. And there's a certain way that I bathe him. I actually learned this from Nicole. Uh, there's certain, you use a certain shampoo and you, you put it on and lather it up really good and you wait about 10 minutes, let it soak in you, and you rinse it off and then you do it again. Kind of a repeat type thing. And so that's how he, I have to uh, bathe him in order for him to come into my house. Now, Copper's a dog and dogs can't clean themselves, right? Unless maybe you're Scooby-Doo. I don't know of any other dog who can actually walk on his hind legs and open up the shampoo and put it on himself and lather him. He has to rely on me to clean him. Now, he thinks that he cleans himself. He licks his paws and other places, and he thinks he, but he, no, that's not, he's not cleaning himself. So in order for him to come in, he has to rely on me to clean him. And in order for him to rely on me to clean him, he has to submit to me to do that. You see, Copper doesn't like getting a bath. Um, there's some times that I have to forcefully submit him <laughs> and make him come to me. But the truth is, he, he trusts me and he submits to me when I, when I bathe him. And that's what has to happen. See, in our Christian lives, it's very similar. If you want to be cleaned by God, if you want to be found spotless, if you want to be washed the way that you're supposed to, you have to submit to God. You have to submit to him and let him clean you because we cannot do that on our own. There's no way that we could be over here earning righteousness, earning goodness, earning these things 
and making our hearts clean and pure before God. We have to rely on God to clean us. In James, there's this verse. Um, James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And it says this. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here's the thing. If you are to cleanse yourself and be clean and be found spotless before God, you have to first submit to him. You have to submit to God and listen to him and follow after him and let him do the work. Let him clean you. You cannot earn cleanliness on your own. You can't do that. You have to allow God to do that for you. You have to submit to him. So here's this, here's this thing is that oftentimes the world looks at Christians and thinks that Christians are just trying to be good people. That the point of being a Christian is to be a good person. But I have this quote here. It says, being a Christian is not about being a good person. And the next part, being a Christian is realizing you can't be a good person and you need someone else to be good for you. See, being a Christian is realizing that I am a bad person. I am terrible. I do stink. I do have sin in my life. But I need to be cleaned. And only Jesus Christ can do that for me. Only the death, the, the life of Jesus Christ, the goodness and the pureness that he lived, going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins, and then raising again, being resurrected, and defeating sin and death. That's what cleans us, is when we believe in that, we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him and ask him to forgive us of our sins and to save us. That is how ultimately we are cleaned, and we have to submit. But the thing is, is that we are still human, and even after we get saved, we are still fleshly, and we still sin. I sin every day. So I have to constantly come under the submission of my own master and let him wash me as white as snow. But we still have sin. We still do sin. Well, let's look at this verse because there's some good news in this verse. In Second uh, Peter, we're going back to Second Peter chapter 3. It says this. We're going to look at verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our, brother, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in his, all his letters as he speaks of these things. You get that? Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, I, I preached a message out of this series about a month ago, and we really built up this point about God's patience. We really built up this point about the fact that the reason that God hasn't allowed Jesus to come back and to resurrect or to uh, redeem and, 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 and rapture the church is because God is patient towards us. The reason he hasn't enacted his judgment on us is because he is patient towards this world. You see, if he did come back, back when the early church thought he should have come, um, there wouldn't have been many people to get saved. There was just a handful of followers at that time after he resurrected and promised that he was coming back. But there was only, the whole world was not yet. 
did not yet hear the gospel. But God has been patient, and he has allowed us um, to have a chance and an opportunity to be saved. But here's the thing. Not only is God patient toward humanity collectively, but also individually, he is patient towards you and me. Even being Christians, even being part of his family, he is patient towards us. And when we sin, he doesn't just slap us and we're out of the family. He loves us. I want you to turn over to Hebrews um, chapter 12. And I'm just going to read this, this passage because this really, this speaks beautifully, this point that I want to get across. And it does it better than I could. So we're just going to read the words of God here in the words of Scripture. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now listen to this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what sons is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but the disciplines, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, here's the amazing truth and beauty of our Lord. Because he loves us so much, he disciplines us. And he has patience toward us when we fail and when we sin. Now, being a child of God does not mean that you have the right to never sin, but it means that when you do sin, God is going to discipline you out of his enormous amount of love and grace and mercy towards you. And that is an amazing, amazing truth. It is because he loves us that he disciplines us. Because he wants us to do what's right. Children in the room, you have parents who discipline you. And I know at the time it doesn't feel like you're being loved because you're like, why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to go through this? But it's because your parents love you and they want you to do what's right. And that's the way God is with us. See, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment, in the sense of us being Christians, means that we get something that we deserve. We get this judgment. We get this destruction. We, we get this punishment that we have to pay for. But see, as Christians, that punishment was put on Jesus Christ. He went through the punishment for us. So now we are not punished for our sins. We are disciplined for our sins. We are corrected. We are, um, God, God does things for us that helps us in our walk with him to do better, to become better Christians, to better follow after him. 
but it's because he has patience towards us. That is an amazing truth, an amazing truth. I want to go back to 2 Peter, and I want to look at these last few verses. Really should have marked my Bible, because I feel like I'm flipping back and forth and can't find my spots. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin reading again just with 15 and, and recap this. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things, these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. These are the false teachers that he's referring to. You, therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. See, here's the thing. The early church was experiencing these storms. It was the false teachers. But we, too, experience similar storms. We, too, may have false teachers in our life that speak things to us that are not true, that are not correct. But these false teachers don't always look like a pastor, a heretical pastor in a bad church with bad theology. Sometimes we can be our own false teachers. Sometimes we can take these things that are lies and believe that they are true and convince ourselves and teach ourselves that these things are correct. We can look at scripture and we can say, you know what? It's true. I will never be able to be spotless. I will never be able to be spotless. I might as well just give up. I might as well not even try to follow after God. I might as well never try to be righteous because I can't do it. And that's a lie that we could teach ourselves. Or we could look at these lies and say, everything that, that I have to do, I have to try in my own strength to be righteous and to be spotless. And I have to earn salvation. I have to earn a right standing before God. I have to earn his favor. And that is a lie as well. And we may even believe the lie that God is not patient towards us. That he really is upset and he hates us and he wants to destroy us when we sin because we went against him. And these are lies that are, it's true that they're lies in our lives. I know, I've, I've dealt with them. I've had these thoughts run through my mind time and time again. And they're lies. And if you hang on to them, it will carry you away. Scripture says, don't be carried away by these false teachers. Don't be carried away by these lawless and errors and, and these lawless people. Don't be carried away by your own thoughts that may drive you into believing things that are not true. So the question is, how do you make sure that you're not carried away? How do you do this? What is the secret to making sure that you are not carried away by these things? Turn with me back over to Hebrews. We're going to look at this. I love this. Hebrews chapter 6. Specifically verse 19. But this whole passage here, it's an amazing thing because it's talking about God's promises to his people. And not just his promises, but the certainty of his promises. The fact that he has made an oath with Abraham, and he, there's, there's a promise there, and he doesn't go back on his promises. But 
But look at this in verse 19. It says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what that's talking about, this inner place where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, if you remember from the Old Testament, there was this thing called the tabernacle. And this was like a, a, a tent or a, almost like a temple that the, as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they would set this up. And in this tabernacle, in the very back, there was a room. It was called the Holy of Holies. It's where God's glory resided. It's where God was. And once a year, there was the high priest that would come into this, this Holy of Holy place, and he would make a sacrifice for the nation of Israel. And it would atone for the whole, all the sins of the people. What this verse says is that Jesus has become our high priest and he has gone into the holy place for us. And he not only was the high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. And what compelled him to do that was his amazing amount of love towards us. That is our hope. That is our anchor. So to make sure that you're not carried away by lies, to make sure that you're not carried away by false teachers, by false doctrine, false gospel, make sure that you remember that Jesus Christ is the anchor for your soul. Make sure that you remember that the love that he has for you, that is what keeps you. That is what keeps you steady. Because let me tell you this, you're going to have storms in your life. You're going to have things that will just rock your world. Whether they come in the form of tragedies that happen, whether they come in the form of just bad thoughts that you are thinking and that could easily carry you away to do things that would not be right, you are going to have these storms. And it's important that you know that Jesus loves you and he has made a way for you and he is the anchor for your soul. Now, for our invitation, we're going to do things a little bit different today. I actually have a song for you that I'd like to, um, I'd like to sing and play in true Philip form and fashion, as he does sometimes. Um, and I want you just to listen to the words of this song, because I think it, it captures beautifully what this verse is saying. So if you know it, you can sing along, feel free to, um, but if not, that's okay. Good to have a microphone a little bit closer. 